The plant-based food sector is booming as investors pump billions into alternative protein firms and conscientious consumers swap meat for meatless meals. But lately the market has wobbled, prompting some to ask, is plant-based a fad or the future? This is the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks. In the first of a series of podcasts on the future of protein in association with nutrition company Kerry, we're going to look under the hood of a market that has been growing by double digits over the past five years, despite the distractions of a pandemic and a global food crisis. The demand for alternatives to meat, eggs, dairy and seafood is by some estimates projected to be a $290 billion market by 2035. Plant-based foods will account for a big chunk of that demand, along with cell-based and fermented products as consumers opt for healthier, more ethically produced meat alternatives. But over the past year, a number of the big alternative protein companies have taken a hit to their profits and seen their share prices nosedive. Analysts have signalled a correction in a market that is still in its infancy, while some observers have wailed that the plant-based bubble has burst. So what has happened? Joining the EcoBusiness podcast to tackle this question are Didio Shanov, Alternative Proteins Business Director for Asia, Middle East and Africa for nutrition company Kerry, and Chris Coggin, Investor Outreach Analyst for the FAIR Initiative, an investor network that assesses the ESG risk of intensive animal protein production. Welcome to the podcast, chaps. Hi, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me today and uh, hello to everyone listening today. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me today. It's great to be here. Great to have you both on to talk about a very topical issue, uh, alternative protein, plant-based meat. Uh, Now, I'm going to ask Didier the first question, which is really the crux of the podcast that we're trying to answer. Is plant-based meat, alternative protein, a fad or the future? The reason I ask this is because As we know, there's been some corrections in the market. We've seen the share prices of some pretty major companies slump recently. And questions have been raised over the long-term future of the market. I think it's a a very important question. So what I can say, first of all, uh, from where uh, we stand uh, from my company perspective, um, this is not a fate. This is a growing category. Um, yes, what we do see, and you mentioned the word corrections, um, and we are basically been hearing this for one or two companies uh, globally. Uh, but the reality is that we are living right now in a post-COVID era. So what happened also when we look at back about the data now? So 2019's big booms around the brand's growth globally of the categories. Then COVID arrived in 2020, and uh, and we still. In, in, we were still in COVID in 2021, and there was a very strong shift of, of consumer uh, consumptions, uh, especially on with a uh, big growth on the retail side, so consumptions from home um, as well. And we, we saw all the food service um, uh, industry very affected with declines and, and, and hotels with no sales and everything as well. So no, we've since the markets have been reopening, let's say in second half of 2021s, and which is not a long, long time ago, and we still have markets that are not yet reopened. We see also um, a shift, so corrections of the markets where um, uh, food services growing uh, again, and then retail, of course, because of the high um, high base over the last two years during COVID, 
it's kind of uh, correcting itself, so declining a little bit. But overall, what I can tell you is uh, from our perspective, we see uh, this category growing, we see this category more demand across, across, across the markets. Uh, and, and we really think this is a very strong, uh, long-lasting long trend for the markets. Okay, so so a positive notion there that I guess in your from your perspective, correct. Um, alternative protein, plant-based meat is the future, right? This is I guess a blip in the market, a fairly natural one. Now, Chris, I want to ask you the same question. So, Chris, you work for the Fair Initiative, which is helping to drive change in the animal agricultural sector. What's your take on the market now? Yeah, just to support what Didier is saying, really. So, when looking at the alternative protein market more broadly. We're really seeing um, sort of a growth in investment. So, you know, that alternative protein market, of course, isn't just that plant based sector. We have the sort of other technologies, including fermentation and cultivated protein production as well. But we saw $5 billion in investments in 2021 alone, and that's a 60% rise um, than the $3.1 billion raised in 2020. So, we, you know, we're not seeing a slowdown at all. And even in, even in the first quarter of 2022, we saw auto, alternative protein companies raising 991 million, and of which you know 475 million of that was plant-based uh, companies. And this is only sort of moderately below the Q1 2021 figures. So, you know, despite the significant geopolitical and market turmoil, we're continuing to see strength um, in the investment flows going into the market. And, you know, just to support this point, we've seen sort of leading consultancy firms, including AT Kearney and BCG, they're really sort of forecasting that the alternative protein market will represent anywhere between 17 and 60% in 2040, with AT Kearney predicting around a 30% overall market share by 2030. So, you know, no, I don't, I sort of, we're sort of supporting Didier's point here. We think this is sort of a temporary you know, blip in the market and the future is sort of driving towards those alternative proteins. Yeah. And so, if I can add something here uh, sure. on, on Chris as well, not so uh, we, we were basically you now living in a world where there is constantly more and more pressure on our lands. There is more educations on how we can, um, let's say, be better with our health um, uh, perceptions. We also have pressure on our climate change. So there is so much tensions uh, across the world. Uh, and this is, they, this is a need of the food industry to transform there. That's why also this is a long-lasting uh, trend that we see in the market as well. Absolutely, yeah. No, I do see your point. But uh, pushing back a little bit, and I want to ask you this, Chris, about risk. Um, the investors that you talk to in your field, um, what do they um, say about the potential risk? For example, let's take health. There's been some concern raised over the potential health risks of eating highly processed foods um, that are plant-based or um, from alternative protein sources. Also the environmental risk of some alternative meat sources, for example, deforestation risk from, from soy cultivation, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, what do you say to the risk bit of the story? Of course, yeah. So there's, you know, there's, I guess there's two different angles you could take on this. From an investment risk, of course, or plant-based um, products are more sort of established in the market as an initial fermentation second, but that cultivated protein is sort of a high risk um, endeavor at the moment because it hasn't sort of proven itself um, currently but on the nutrition side of things I, I wouldn't say I can comment on this uh, in particular um, I, you know I've heard the, the same argument around the sort of highly processed nature but you know I think you know this is a very new industry 
we're sort of, you know scientists are continuously and you know dietitians are continuously improving the nutritional profile of these products you know there's exciting um ideas around you know substituting some saturated fats for unsaturated fats you know reducing the salt content sugars etc um so you know, you know this is a, a very new technology that's sort of being improved year on year and then on the other side of the of the coin we've seen the sort of you know, the, the risk around, um, you know, sourcing of ingredients, the energy consumption that some of these products use, particularly on the cultivated side. And, you know, the packaging, I think, is something that we're seeing investors um, wanting to see improvements on. You know, there's lots, you know, particularly on plastics, we want to see a reduction in the, in the plastic uh, packaging and also more sort of ability to recycle these plastic packaging products. So that's sort of what we're seeing on the investment side. And did you, do you have anything to add on that, the risk element from the industry perspective? Um, how do you respond to concerns that there is you know, risk associated with also the growth of alternative protein and uh, plant-based meat? So personally, what I, I honestly don't see the, uh, where is the risk. I think the, the risk is bigger of not doing anything, first of all. Um, secondly, you just take something simple, no? So... Um, we already producing a lot of, let's say, uh, veggies, grains as well, which are used by uh, animals. So basically we are using the grains today to feed animals and then we use animals to feed ourselves. So by reducing um, the animal uh, quantities around the world, we can continue to grow the uh, productions of grains and crops to create different type of dishes. So either it's plant, either it's fermentations, either it's culture meat in the future as well. So we need to rebalance the way we use the resource. Uh, and I don't see any risk about that. I think if we do it responsibly, we will find a way to uh, rebalance the resource, make it better for the planet, in the same time making healthier for the people and people's life in general. And just to add on to that as well, you know, we we are currently, you know, we currently have an engagement. It's called our Sustainable Proteins Engagement, and this is targeting 23 of the leading consumer-facing retailers and manufacturers. And uh, you know, Carry Group is one of those companies, and we're really seeing these these you know largest consumer-facing brands. You know, it also includes Nestle, Unilever, etc. They are really sort of understanding the materiality of this of the issue around you know, you know, a single source of protein being animal-based protein. And we're really seeing this industry more broadly sort of almost de-risk itself uh, to some extent. So, you know, we're, we're seeing huge improvements from an investment uh, risk perspective as well here. The companies are really making uh, great strides forward uh, with that regard. Okay, now let's take a step back, right? So we've tackled the main question is, I guess, fad or the future with plant-based and alternative meat. What are the factors that have been driving this growth to date? Is it a shift mainly from, I guess, among meat eaters to mock meat? Um, and in which geographies are we seeing the main uh, growth in this market, Didier? Yeah, so what, what we've seen uh, over the last few years as well. So the main driver of growth have um, been driven by the flexitarians, so people that do not eat, let's say, meat uh, every day. Um, uh, so that's the main chunk of the uh, of the growth drivers we're talking about people that are either driven for health reasons so they want to reduce the intake uh, of meat because they um, they perceive it as not the healthiest choice for them we have also drivers like sustainability which very uh, very true 
Uh, we have done recently even some studies with LCA, so life cycle assessments, showing clearly that um, using plant, it's much more sustainable than growing animals, especially when you talk about chicken and beef, etc. So that's a sustainable driver. And we also see other more focus on uh, animal welfare as well. So of course, uh, people are already in a veganism or vegetarian diets, they're already embracing those drivers. So what we do see is that we see more and more people dry, uh, driven from uh, the, the three uh, pillars that I just mentioned, you know? so health, uh, sustainability, animal welfare. Um, that's what we, what we see the trends. So people are reducing their intake. They don't completely eliminate it, but they are reducing it. Interesting take. Yeah. Do you, do you see that as well, Chris, those similar sorts of reasons for the drive in growth for plant-based and alternative meat consumption? Um, because here where I'm sitting, I'm sitting in Singapore, we cover Asia Pacific mainly, that research points to, uh, despite the trend of increased consumption of plant-based products, an increase overall in consumption of meat and fish products in this part of the world. How, how do you see um, the trend going from where you're sitting? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to frame this as part of a broader sort of, um, you know, the sustainability and climate emergency, I guess you could call it on the biodiversity emergency as well. We're seeing there's these huge crises that consumers sort of waking up to this fact. And, you know, if we, if we do want to achieve that Paris Agreement, emissions from the food system alone will make it impossible to limit warming to 1.5 degrees and actually difficult to achieve the two degree target. So it's not so much a question as to, you know, if, if this if this is going to happen, it's, it's a question of when. And I think, you know, consumers are really waking up to that and around the whole sustainability uh, angle of things. And of course, as Didier mentioned, the sort of nutrition, nutrition side of things, but I can't comment so much on that side, but really around the sustainability and, um, you know, the intensification of uh, animal protein is really sort of, resulting in um, a destruction of, of many of our, you know, environmental systems. Yeah. And I've got to ask, um, if you don't mind, chaps, your personal dietary preferences. Uh, personally, I switched to vegetarianism um, a couple of years ago for animal welfare reasons. I'm an um, animal lover, um, but obviously uh, I'm deeply concerned about the, the plight of our planet and eat, uh, eating a, a planet-based or plant-based diet. Um, is better systemically how about you guys um, and can you share your reasons for your dietary preferences so I, I can start here and uh, I think for me uh, I'm a flexitarian so uh, I like meat uh, but what I can tell you is that over the last three years I've been really reducing my intake um, and it, I'm just realizing that I'm reducing it even more and more more and more easily why? Because I've been working in these alternative proteins for a couple of years already. And I see that there is more access to very good product in the market. And that just make my life easier to, uh, to, to balance my diet. So when I, sometimes I can have uh, a meat, sometimes I do not have. Uh, but I can tell you that I've been reducing more and more my, my intake of meats. I, I would not be surprised in a couple of months or years, I, I also decide to, to be, be uh, fully vegetarian or, or vegan. Absolutely. It's interesting, isn't it? Where I'm based, as I mentioned, in Asia, food is so important culturally that if there aren't good products on the market that are tasty, delicious, that that, that switch to a plant-based diet is trickier. Um, Chris, I gather you're, you're a vegan. Do you mind sharing your um, 
decision to to shift to that that preference yes of course so my, my decision was all around this sort of um it was primarily the animal welfare and environmental reasons the more i researched i found other benefits and other avenues such as health but um particularly around the the animal welfare angle i believe sort of my personal view is you know this is something that's going to happen eventually and i think i just i want to be part of that driving force pushing these alternative protein products into the market um and really driving change in that regard um i believe that we don't sort of need animals in to sort of satisfy our our um, sort of taste or the mouthfeel of these products etc so you know it's becoming easier and easier to become vegan and um you know i live in the in the uk and it's, it's, it's a great market to live in if you are vegan there's sort of lots of alternative protein products in every supermarket shelf so it's really great um to be vegan in the uk at least if, yeah. robin if you can let me add something here because you know i have wonderful kids and i'm thinking about also not only about me and my health uh, and and the planet i live on but i thinking about what kind of world uh, i will leave them in the future no they have the life ahead of them as well so Personally, I don't want to be selfish. I want to make sure that I can do my part to uh, let my kids grow in a in a better world that I I I I, I will live. That's an absolutely great way to think, um, and I wish everyone thought like that. Um, I, I want to push back a little bit on that point, though. I guess is that what is the consumer profile? Um, of someone who eats plant-based products and let's face it a lot of plant-based products on the market are more expensive um, than meat products so what does that say about the consumer profile is plant-based food a luxury for the middle classes and the well-off um, Didier so your um, you operate in your job across Asia Middle East and Africa where are you seeing the demand um, for plant-based products, and how is that split by socio-economic group? Around, let's say, Asia, Pacific, Middle East, and Africa, what I can tell you is that the demand is increasing everywhere. Um, there is more and more demands of innovations, uh, projects, optimized processes, and 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 bringing new technologies uh, to 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 craft very delicious products uh, into the market. And as you mentioned earlier, Asia is a market where taste is so, so important. Culturally, the, the, the type of food we have access in Asia is fabulous um, as well. And um, I can tell you that we, we see uh, the, the, the plant-based products available across the different, uh, any different economical, socio-economical level. Um, you have access, you have products available in fast foods uh, already, so very accessible to most of the products and some they're doing very very well across the markets just an example i can't when you look at uh, the burger king in philippines it's successful markets they already have more and more uh, products in their range um, when we talk about um, uh, more high-end you also see more restaurants um, high-end restaurants adopting plant-based you start to see more and more across the markets uh, new concepts totally plant-based as well uh, and it is happening everywhere so I haven't been, I've been traveling a lot over the last couple of months and I've seen most of the markets in Asia, you have more and more access to it in retails, in the supermarket and or in the food service. Um, so I would say this is for everybody. And the more this category is growing, the more uh, everyone will have 
uh, is piece of, of, of plant-based meat available for them. Absolutely. As the market matures, we're likely to see more innovations in the plant-based and alternative meat sector. Um, Chris, anything you can tell us about the sort of innovations that we're likely to see in the market as it matures? Yes, well, you know, we're seeing that we're, obviously there's different technologies here. So if you're thinking about the plant-based uh, production, there's different ways in which you can sort of um, produce that protein. So currently it's all around the extrusion methods, but there are other sort of additional methods going forward that will make the mouthfeel, the taste, the texture of these products more like meat uh, or conventionally produced meat. And then looking at the other two technologies as well, we're seeing, for example, co cultivated meat, you know, growing those animal cells outside of the sort of animal's body. Essentially, the best way to think of it is sort of, you know, brewing these animal cells, essentially. And I think this will be a huge sort of growth in the market going forward as we're going to see the um, sort of a hybrid products um, coming forward. So a mix between cultivated and fermentation or fermentation and plant-based or cultivated and plant-based products, um, both from the perspective of economics, cultivated is quite expensive. So, you know, making sure that these products are um, you know, will be sort of taken up by consumers and they're not too expensive. So we'll see this sort of blending of these technologies going forward. And I believe this is a really good thing as it will give consumers greater choice and availability and it'll be more convenient for them to make this decision. Yeah, really interesting point actually about blended proteins. I do wonder though whether there'll be issues around standards and labeling as proteins are combined and merged. But yeah, I guess that's a, a kind of kind of worms that could be some way uh, down the road. So I want to finish, I want to ask you both about the future, right? What the diet of the future may look like and where plant-based is likely to fit into that diet. This is a big transformation of the food industry. Um, so it's not going to stop. It's a need for peoples and, and the planet as well. So um, the future is, 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 is bright in the sense that we're stepping up the technologies, the capabilities around the world, uh, which allow us to create better products, not only for uh, people, but also for the planet. And if we combining both, that's going to be uh, the, the best way of moving forward. So one of the things, and related to Asia as well, no? we need to be very conscious. No? So Today, uh, Asia is the fastest growing um, economy in the world, uh, fastest growing population. So in a couple of years, we'll be more than 70% of the populations will be based in Asia. So uh, the economy is growing. People have also more access to, to meat, access to more things. So I do imagine that uh, in the future, so in Asia, we'll see um, uh, people access to many different types of products. We will see plants, uh, alternatives across different categories, not only meat, but it's already big in the beverage. We will see it more and more in snack. We will see it in cheese. We will see in different options. So I do imagine in a couple of years, very nearby, uh, plant product across every market. And we start to see, as Chris just mentioned, we will start to see a combinations of uh, integrations of different technology together in terms of proteins, but we may have cultured uh, ingredients mixed with plant uh, ingredients together will be interesting to see. Chris, any thoughts on the future? So from the investment space, I think we're just going to continue seeing investment innovation into both the, the, the plant protein themselves, as well as the fermentation and cultivated, but also the packaging and things like this that also need to be considered you know, as part of the whole product, right? So 
I think we're just going to continue to see great levels of innovation, um, lots of hybrid products coming to the market. Also, we're going to see more sort of re regulatory clarity around these um, alternative protein products, particularly around the cultivated side of things. And I think just consumer awareness is going to, to drive the change. So there'll be a more sort of balanced protein uh, portfolio in the market, you could say. So instead of going just having sort of one option uh, or one or two options as we do today, we're going to have, you know, four or five uh, potential options on, on the supermarket shelf. So I agree with Didi. I think the future is bright, but I think there's some level of um, urgency to really drive these sustainable outcomes globally, you know. So I think, you know, one on the one side, we're seeing consumers really, really adopt this, but also the businesses and the regulators need to sort of come on board and make sure that they are really, um, you know, adapting to the to the climate, uh, the new climate world and, and the biodiversity challenges we're facing. Indeed, as the market grows and matures, regulatory clarity is needed, as you mentioned. Great place to leave it. Chris Coggin, Didier Chanov, thank you so much for joining the Ecopistis podcast. Thank you very, thank much. You very much. This podcast was hosted by Ecobusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.